This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Welcome to CityCast Denver. I'm Paul Caroli, and you're listening to Mayoral Madness, our effort to get to know all 17 candidates who want to be Denver's next mayor. Today, I'm speaking with State Senator Chris Hansen. Senator Hansen, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. So you've been campaigning for a while now. We're maybe a month, month and a half away from the election. I'm sure it's taking you all over the city. I would love to hear about a place that is new to you or a new place that, that you've loved recently. Yeah, I you know I just had a chance to visit uh, Beacon Kempner uh, campus over on the west side of town, and 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 to get to know some of the staff over there. It's a wonderful part of the of the DPS family, and I've, I've known some of the administrators there for a long time. And it was just yeah, really wonderful to see the great work they're doing. And that was a very new place for me to go and visit that school. Um, so that that one really sticks out over the last couple of weeks. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not familiar. That sounds like an interesting place. Um, but let's get right into it. I want to start with one of the big questions. Why do you want to be mayor? Well, you know, I as as I said in my opening statement last night in the Channel 9 debate, I, I am running for mayor because I want to build a city that works. And right now, I don't feel like Denver is working very well. I'm, I'm you know, feeling frustrated. I'm, I'm seeing and hearing from lots of folks in town. They're feeling frustrated. The city just isn't functioning uh, and, and at its full potential. And I feel like this is a moment for really for Denver to, to create a new direction. And as, as the next mayor, I want to build a great team to tackle the toughest problems that we're up against. And I've been really trying to stress the themes of how do we build a safer, more affordable and greener Denver. Uh, and that's, that's really where I want to put my focus is the next mayor. So the flip side of that question is, uh, why are you the right person for the job? Well, you know, I, I've been really trying to share, you know, who I am with with the Denver voters and, you know, my background and the skills that I think I can bring to this office. You know, I think first and foremost, I, I'm, I'm an engineer by background. I, you know, I've had a, a long private sector career and leadership in the private sector, leading large business units and, and you know, multi-billion dollar projects. Uh, I've then left my job and ran for state legislature where I've served on Joint Budget Committee and helped lead, you know, the forty billion dollars state budget and, and managed uh, giant pieces of legislation in, in the legislature. So I think I bring a very unique kind of public and private sector background and set of skills. And but most importantly, you know, a mayor is not an island. A mayor is only as good as the team he or she can build. Um, and I feel really confident, you know, with my with my background that I can bring in a great cabinet and a great set of managers to really help uh, help the city run and to help Denver work again and 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 tackle the tough issues that we're up against. Hit me with a couple of names. Who are some people that are at the top of your list? Like I, I would really love to hire them. Well, yeah, you know, one of the folks who I've known for a long time who is at the city now uh, is the city attorney, Carrie Tipper. Um, and I was very fortunate to be with her uh, in the state house and in the state legislature. Um, and I think I think she is someone who brings a really wonderful perspective uh, to that job. So that that would be somebody I, I would love to 
to see if I can convince to, to stay a part of my administration. Um, so I think that's a that's a good example. But, you know, the other spots, you know, the other important cabinet officials, um, you know, I I've always, I guess, was really thinking back to some of the previous mayoral transitions. And and I think what always worked best in those situations is where you went in with a really open mind and, and left yourself open to lots of possibilities uh, that might not seem apparent in the in the heat of a campaign. And so, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of wonderful people in this campaign. I, I have no doubt I'll, we'll have some amazing folks who will, who will be able to step forward. But, you know, I'm I'm not sort of campaigning on, hey, uh, support me and I'll, I'll make you such and such at the city. Uh, that is that is definitely not what I'm doing. You know, I, I I really feel like the city can thrive if we've got a great mix of public and private sector talent uh, that can come and, and really shepherd our departments and, and lead our departments. So that's that's really what I want to do. You mentioned your engineering background. When I learned that, I knew I wanted to ask you a question about technology. And uh, earlier this month, the city of Denver banned TikTok from government-owned devices. Colorado Senior Senator Michael Bennett has also called on the app stores to remove TikTok. But at the same time, many other elected officials, including our governor, Jared Polis, are using it to communicate with their followers. I'm curious, as mayor, which of the following three options are you most likely to do? Oh, One. Yeah. yeah, Paul, that's a great question. You know, I, there are real concerns about data uh, privacy and, you know, especially with the relationship of TikTok to the Chinese government. I think having, uh, you know, a ban on TikTok on, on public devices, I think, uh, is appropriate. And I, I think that is something I would want to continue, you know, for city-owned devices. I think that makes sense because we just don't have a good idea of kind of the data management side of, of uh, that app. Uh, given the tight relationship with the with the Chinese government, um, you know, for personal use and communicating to constituents, and you know, the kind of the the suite of social media options, um, you know, I think it's it's uh, useful. It's something we're using in our in our own outreach on the campaign, uh, but I think it makes sense to to keep it off the you know public sector devices. So you are using it, but you do support the ban for cybersecurity reasons. Yeah, I, I think you know for you know, possible data leaks and and, and uh, data issues, it, it makes sense to, you know, to not have it available on, on, uh, on the city owned devices. Hmm. You mentioned the nine news debate last night, which your, your television ad, uh, was a hot topic. You got some blowback. Um, I want to ask you about the ad. It focused on homelessness and public safety. It shows some footage of tents on a sidewalk and some people doing violence. And you pose this question, how did it come to this? Uh, I found that a little vague. I'm not really sure what you're saying the problem is when you say this. What do you see as the problem in Denver when it comes to homelessness and public safety? Yeah, you know, we we had used some images to to really try to lift up what I see as the top two issues in this campaign, which is the homelessness crisis in Denver and the public safety issues. And you know, one of those clips was from uh, from Channel Nine News, uh, and you know, we had some other clips that were actually from you know record at somebody's house. But that was really what we we're trying to do is, is really focus in on the top two issues and, and, and highlight the, the urgent need to address the homelessness crisis and, and public safety. But, you know, I, I got attacked for that last night. You know, this is what happens when you challenge the status quo. You often get attacked. Um, that's politics. Like, I get it. I, I, can, I can, you know, handle, handle those attacks. But it's really clear, as we talk to voters all over across the city, 
that they want real solutions on the homelessness crisis and, and prioritizing public safety for every single community around Denver. And that's, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to focus on those issues. Um, you know, I've put out detailed plans uh, to address the homelessness crisis. And, you know, I, I got attacked by, by a candidate who has no plan out to address the homelessness crisis. So, I, you know, I think that's, that's really uh, what I took away from, from that exchange last night. Hmm. We'll talk about your plan in a second, but I, I want to give you a chance to respond to their main criticism in a little bit more detail. Um, so this was Ian Thomas DeFoya and then Leslie Harrod in particular, who called you out for basically demonizing people of color by, by using the footage that you chose to use. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, Paul, I, I mean, look, it, it simply, you know, is I think a distraction, you know, it was a, it was a, a planned attack to try to try to do that. And that's fine. You know, you get attacked in politics. You know, I, I just, I think the Denver voters really care deeply about the homelessness crisis. They care deeply about the situation of public safety right now. And that's, you know, that's what we tried to focus on in the ad and, and highlight, you know, that we've got clear plans to address that. So, you know, look, opponents are going to attack me through this race. Again, that's, that's part of politics. I've, you know, I've been elected official for, for now going on seven years. Uh, you know, this is part of politics in Denver. But what I am very sure of is that uh, folks really want to hear candidates' solutions to how are they going to address homelessness? How are they going to rebuild public safety department in Denver? How are they going to address, you know, what unfortunately are, are some rising crime statistics? And that's what we were trying to highlight, you know, with, with uh, the advertisement that we put out and to really respond to, uh, you know, what we're hearing over and over again are the top issues for Denver voters. So I want to ask you about one aspect, uh, one of your proposals on this issue, and it gets to this bigger, bigger question about public safety, especially for people of color in this city. And I think this is what they were trying to get at last night. And I'm eager to hear your thoughts on this because you've said that on this topic that we need to hire more police officers, even more than the deficit the force already has. Um, I spoke a few days ago with the president of the Rocky Mountain NAACP, Portia Prescott, and she said the only safety for black people in America comes when there is no contact with law enforcement. So I would love to hear what you would tell Portia and other voters of color in Denver about how your plan will keep them safe. Yeah, you know, I, and to clarify, I, last night there was one of the questions that came up, you know, do you feel like we need to go above and beyond the current number of authorized officers? And, you know, my plan is to get us back up to full strength. So I, I just, you know, I want to clarify that. So you don't want to go above the current force. That's right. I mean, I think the authorized force we have right now is is at a good level. Um, what I would say is that it's not just about police officers. I mean, it's also about, you know, so that number, 1600, I think is is a good number for Denver right now. But we also need to make sure that we have co-responders and try to uh, really max out the effectiveness of the STAR program, for example, or have mental health professionals who are able to be the the first contact, not police. And that's better for the police. And it's better for, you know, someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis, right? You would get the right person for the right response. And so it's not just sworn officers. So I, I want to be really clear about that. I mean, this is a, this is a deeply human, uh, you know, set of crises we're up against here, where it's folks that have a mental health issue or an addiction issue. And, you know, that's a part of the complex set of factors that we have to have to deal with. You know, it's in, in many cases, it's not the appropriate thing to send a police officer. It's really about 
having the right response. And it's one of the things I'm excited about to expand the STAR program so that that's available, you know, all over the city. And I think there's a lot of support uh, to do that. But, uh, you know, I think rebuilding the public safety department right now, I think we have to face up to the the significant shortage we have in the sheriff's office and in the and the police department. You know, the sheriff's office in particular is 40% right now down on frontline officers in the jail. Um, that is leading to huge amounts of uh, forced overtime, which is leading to more people leaving the department, which then, of course, leads to more forced overtime. So we're in this really downward kind of spiral from, from a human resource standpoint. And it's one of the reasons I'm, you know, I'm so proud to have earned the support of the frontline sheriff's officers uh, through their union, which is the Teamsters. And that I'm really proud of that endorsement because what I communicated to them was as the next mayor, I am going to prioritize the recruitment and training and retention of great public safety departments. And, and at the top of that list, of course, uh, is making sure that our, our jails are, are properly staffed. And, you know, the crisis right now, and I think it's a fair word, in the sheriff's department really highlights that. I mean, you just cannot operate on a sustained basis with this kind of shortage. We've got to recruit and retain. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't think our city works unless we have great public safety department. Let's get back to homelessness. You've said you would enforce Mayor Hancock's camping ban. You've said you'd audit our support services. I'd love to hear more about your plan and why you think yours is the right approach. Yeah, you know, let's let's uh, you know, I think start with that that word audit. I mean, I one of the things that I really tried to spearhead and, and work very hard on in my time at the Joint Budget Committee was to bring an evidence based budgeting approach to major spending decisions at the state level. And that's exactly what I'd like to do in this category. You know, Denver is going to spend about $250 million this year on various ways of, of providing services, short and long-term services for folks who are unhoused. And, you know, a lot of those programs are not showing good results. Some are. Some, some of those pieces are doing very well. In fact, in last year's budget that I helped lead, we put aside um, more than $100 million to create additional treatment capacity at the Ridgeview facility, for example, which is based on a model that has shown tremendous results at the Fort Lyon facility uh, in the southeast part of the state. And so, you know, that is what I think we need to do first and foremost. Let's take a hard look at where we're spending now, audit the programs, the places that are showing long-term results, let's put more money in. The places that are not, we've got to pull back, you know, and, and I, I think another great example that I've shared and, and had a chance a little bit last night to do it was what the Salvation Army is doing. They've really focused in on providing services to, to families experiencing homelessness. They've had a 90% placement rate in permanent housing uh, through their programming and bringing in wraparound services and getting you know kids back into school and really stabilizing uh, those families' lives so they've got a path back to, to something you know, uh, that's normal and that can get uh, stable long-term. That's an amazing success rate. I mean, that's a, that's another place where we've got some new state investment coming based on a bill that I helped draft and lead and get to the governor's desk. So that's the approach, right? Take a hard look. Where are we spending now? What's working? What's not? And just housing by itself is, is not going to produce much in the way of long-term results. And, you know, that's, a, I guess, another piece is I've looked at cities across the country, like San Antonio, for example, who have had drastic reductions in their homeless population. You know, it's down by almost 50% in San Antonio in the last two years. And what they what they did, I think, very effectively was 
enforce a, a, a citywide camping prohibition and have a one-stop shop for people to get services and quickly try to get people into stable housing with wraparound care and wraparound treatment. And that was the formula for success. And, I, and it's really the direction I'd like to take Denver. And I think the first step is that audit. And you know, we're, I don't think we're going to make progress if we don't end open camping in the city. Uh, and so that's an important piece of the overall overall program. I have to be honest, it sounds a lot like what Mayor Hancock says when he talks about this issue, but we've, we haven't seen a lot of change um, in his time in office. Is there anything specific that he's done that you wouldn't do or that you would stop doing? You know, I think, you know, we still have a huge amount of open camping in the city. You know, I, look, I, I think Mayor Hancock, you know, and his team have uh, done some great things in their time in office, but right now the status quo is not, you know, delivering a great result. Um, and so I think having very, very consistent and very clear enforcement, uh, you know, not allowing open camping in the city is, is gotta be a part of our approach. And, you know, every day when I drive into the Capitol, I am seeing, you know, homeless encampments that have been there in some cases for weeks and months. It is inhumane for those people living on the street. It is making life very hard for, for everyone in the city. And so I guess that's why, you know, I feel like that is a, a departure. From, from the status quo uh, and and something that I want to communicate very clearly you know to all the voters and and what I was trying to be clear about in you know in my television advertisement so uh, the other side of the homelessness issue is is the housing issue um, rents are going up housing is unattainable for a lot of people um, some people say that the number one cause of homelessness is rising rents and uh, there's a bill going through, I think the other side of the legislature that might come to you at some point um, that would lift the state ban on rent control. If that bill gets over to the state Senate and maybe you're elected mayor, would you implement rent control if you have the chance? Well, look, I was very clear last night on the stage that I think rent control is not an effective policy. Uh, I, I won't be supporting it in the state legislature, and I don't think it is a good fit for, you know, our challenges in Denver. You know, if you look at the cities that have had rent control in different various forms over the years, one of the common themes that you see is that rent control very quickly, almost immediately, dries up investment in new housing. And then that, in turn, creates a supply shortage, which we already have in Denver. I mean, we're, we're at least 50,000 units short in the city right now. And if we had rent control, that shortage would only get worse because you just see a huge massive reduction in private investment once a rent control policy comes comes into effect. I think what has worked way better uh, and what I supported uh, through the state budget last year is to expand things like tax credits for uh, housing that has income qualification. So your listeners probably know about you know 30% AMI or 80% AMI, which is uh, area median income. And those approaches, I think, have been way more effective than going down the route of rent control. And we've got uh, tax incentives from both federal and states uh, support that can really supercharge the building of new uh, units that are going to be income qualified. And that, I think, is going to have a way better long-term outcome than if we go down the route of, of doing rent control. So, again, I've been very clear. Uh, you know, I wasn't being wishy-washy in any way last night. I've said very straight to camera, you know, rent control has no uh, history of working. And I don't think it would be effective for Denver and I don't support it. 
a firm no on rent control. That's right. I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to a listener question. This is a question from Nate Marie and their three-month-old Theo. They write, as, as we all recognize, cost of living has risen exponentially in Denver in the last 10 years. This has most dramatically affected people with the lowest incomes, but it's also been hard on the middle class. My family's income is starting to increase, which is great, but it puts us in between receiving services and having enough income to live in Denver. What specific policies could you implement while mayor to help the middle class with the cost of living? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've had a long history of doing this uh, at the state level, especially on uh, tax policy, uh, really trying to get dedicated uh, tax decreases for working families. Uh, the expansion of the earned income tax credit. I led that fight at the state capitol. Uh, the expansion of the child tax credit. Again, another bill that I helped sponsor. And in fact, I've got uh, a further expansion of both of those uh, in the legislative process right now that I'm sponsoring and leading on. And so, you know, I think that uh, is one of the places that often gets overlooked is the tax code. How are we supporting working families so they can keep more of their hard-earned income? And the EITC and the CTC, as they're known, are the most effective way to do that. And that's what I've really tried to focus on at the state level and something you know that as I, as I think about running for mayor, um, we'll continue to advocate for those because they have such a massive help uh, for our working families. You know, the other thing that I'm aware of is that Denver right now, uh, you know, there's, there's rapid appreciation in our property values. It's gonna come down a little bit this year, thank goodness, after several years of double digit rises. But I also led the effort of the state government to get property tax relief, particularly for multifamily and for folks who are in multifamily units, because, uh, you know, the, the increases were causing um, some big changes in the property tax level. So I, you know, put in place $1.1 billion in property tax cuts. And so I want to highlight those because those have a huge impact on family budgets, right? That's hundreds of dollars a month uh, in total savings for these families. And that can be, you know, the difference between uh, having a food budget that makes it to the to the next paycheck or not. Um, and so I think those are really important pieces of my record and ways that we can really support working families uh, in, in Denver. You know, Paul, the other thing I would add is as mayor, uh, this will continue to be a big priority for me. And it's one of the reasons I feel so urgent about addressing the housing supply issue. Um, and, and, you know, back to our discussion on rent control, because I think that would take us in the opposite direction. And so, you know, that's that's what uh, I want to want to really look at is is catching up on that supply side, because it brings down prices for everybody if we don't have a, a housing shortage. Um, and, you know, I'd love to, you know, if, if you'd like to describe how to do that. So are there specific are there policies you'd change? Yeah. As as mayor when it comes to the supply or yeah. the tax code? No, I per Perfect follow-up, and I was I was hoping to continue this discussion with you because you know I, I see a massive opportunity for uh, uh, multifamily units on our high uh, density corridors. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if, you know, think in your mind's eye of, of East Colfax right now. It's the place where we're going to start the work on the bus rapid transit or BRT. I'm, I'm sure you probably looked at that in previous shows. Definitely. And you know, the BRT is is this great I think opportunity to marry higher density housing with great transit and still have the ability to not have density where perhaps it doesn't fit as well. Um, and so I, I really see that as a, a super important project for the next mayor. We've got to in, implement that with, with high fidelity, do it in a way that is 
meets the urgency of this moment. I mean, there is the opportunity to put tens of thousands of new units up and down Colfax and up and down federal in particular. You know, two corridors that are highly traveled that if we can improve the transit and, and marry that up with, you know, four and five story buildings, for instance, there's some already great examples on Colfax. There's Phoenix on the facts, uh, which is not far from my home in East Denver on at Pontiac and Colfax. I mean, a really amazing project, 100 units, they're income qualified. You know, the, there's first floor retail. It's where the fiction beer company is. Great, great spot. Highly recommend it. You know, you really get a great dividend, uh, with transit, with the environmental impact, with more safety because you've got, you know, the street activated by the retail. So there's so many great compounding effects. Uh, if we can get that BRT project implemented in a great way on, on Colfax and then take it to other parts of the city. Well, we're already talking about transportation. That's my next question. This is uh, this is one from the batch of questions that we're we're picking a few out for each candidate, but we're asking everybody. Uh, Denver was built for the car. Many experts say that we're going to have to change that if we want fewer traffic deaths and to lower our impact on the climate. What would you do as mayor to improve our transportation system? Yeah, you know, I I, I guess really two main themes there to pick up on our BRT discussion, which is to work closely with. RTD to make sure that that is delivered at the quality and the frequency that we're going to need for that to be successful. I mean, you need five and six minutes, you know, peak time bus service. Uh, that is not the 15 right now. I mean, the, the 15 is tough to use. In fact, you know, a few weeks ago, or I guess two months ago, I took my kids uh, downtown and we decided to take the 15 and, and see, you know, what that was like to just do a Saturday afternoon in, in you know, downtown Denver by taking the bus and it was rough. You know, I, we, we saw my, my youngest son was like, dad, was that a you know drug deal that I just saw go down at the bus stop? And then my older son, uh, you know, said, you know, dad, I, I, I didn't realize, you know, there were just so many encampments as we got closer and closer to downtown. And, and for a dad, you know, as a father, that's a really heartbreaking discussion to have because you obviously want, uh, everyone wants a great city for their kids. They want to hand off a great city for their kids. And so we've got to do better on the transit side and, and have to do better, of course, on, on how that intersects with public safety. And so I would say, you know, the BRT is a great example. The other thing I would say is Denver is going to have to step it up uh, and fill in the gaps. I mean, I think about, you know, the Leedsdale to downtown kind of corridor and, and as it travels through Cherry Creek and getting people to and from, you know, the other major hubs in the city really tough right now um, and tough for workers to get to and from Cherry Creek or for folks to be able to you know jump on a bus and get downtown from Cherry Creek. We're, you're absolutely right with the premise of your question is that we're a, you know, a city that has a heavy dependence on cars. And as we continue to grow and mature as a city, we've got to offer you know great transit options to fill in those gaps. Uh, otherwise, it, it will result in traffic gridlock because you just can't build enough lanes. Uh, you know, I-25, for example, is maxed out, very difficult to build, you know, additional capacity. And even if you did, you know, as, as people find out with highway construction, it often gets filled up in just a short amount of time. So that's not going to be the long-term solution. We're going to need great transit. And, and I, I hope to be a, a great champion for transit as, as the next mayor. I got a fun one for you here. Being mayor comes with special privileges. I'm sure you could call up pretty much anyone in the city and get to know them over lunch. Which local celebrity would you most want to share a meal with? Uh, that is a great question. That is a fun question. I, I mean, I've always been a big sports fan. I think I would, I would love to meet with uh, 
Nikola Djokic. I, I'd love to have lunch with him. Um, so exciting to see what the Nuggets are doing this year. And I mean, I, I think they are primed for, for a, a championship run and something the whole city is just going to be able to, to really soak in and enjoy, uh, this, this great Nuggets team. Um, so that, that'd be somebody I would love, love to reach out to and, and have a chance to get to know and, and, and learn more about his story and, and what he loves about Denver. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that would be one that comes to mind, especially as we're, you know, getting close to playoff time. I, I love that answer. I, I have to agree. I, I would love to to get to know him. He's supposed to be a pretty funny guy. That's what I've heard. I know. I've heard the same thing. Yeah, great sense of humor. So it'd be fun to fun to grab lunch. All right. So we're wrapping up here. I've got one last big picture question for you. The main reason we're doing this, we're trying to talk to all 17 candidates, is because we really want to hear a fresh vision for Denver's future. Like, what does the city look like in five years, 10 years? What's the next era of Denver? So what is your vision for Denver's future? Yeah, Paul, I, that is a great question to, to, to wrap up with you with because, I mean, that is fundamentally what this election is about. It's about our future and, and how we're going to invest in our city to, to make it uh, a wonderful place for, for the next generation. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, through my answers today, you can probably guess uh, kind of the direction I really want to go here, which is to, to be very uh, methodical in, in that investment and, and create uh, great neighborhoods and great spaces and interconnected spaces for Denver, um, you know, rejuvenate downtown and make sure that folks love to come downtown. And it's a place of excitement and attraction uh, so that we have a feel of a vibrant city and a, and a place where we're feeling safe wherever we go across Denver, you know, and, and I think it's that interconnectedness that I really want to stress. I think if I had a theme it's, you know, as we talked about BRT, as we talked about, you know, how to, how to help downtown recover, as we think about, you know, new projects like, you know, National Western continuing to expand. We think about uh, the re- redevelopment of places like Elish Gardens and, and, you know, as the city grows and changes, we've got to make sure it's interconnected. Um, you know, we need a great bus to be able to get to Casa Bonita from downtown. Uh, I hear the food is going to be much better soon. So, you know, we've got to have a really interconnected city um, and that we don't end up with a bunch of islands because that is not a city that that I want to live in. And I and this vibrant, you know, multicultural fabric of Denver will start to break down if if we don't have that great connection. And that's that's the kind of city I want to to build for our children. Where can people go to learn more about you and your campaign? Yeah, I'd love for people to check out my website, you know, number of, uh, you know, of course, policy papers and, and, and deep dives for folks that want to get into policy issues, but also a lot of uh, video content uh, to, to talk about some of our big ideas in this campaign. You know, the, the one of the things it's at, at ChrisForDenverMayor.com. We've got a lot on there about how to green the city. Uh, you know, one of the things we didn't get to today was how do we have a more environmentally sustainable Denver, which is an important part of my vision. Uh, and really fits, you know, my background coming out of environmental energy work. Um, and so folks can learn more at my website, ChrisForDenverMayor.com. Well, Chris Hansen, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, Paul, thanks. I really enjoyed our conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mayoral Madness. What we hope is a 17-part interview series with all the candidates on the ballot to be Denver's next mayor. We're planning to publish these episodes each weekend leading up to Election Day on April 4th, and we'll be providing more news and analysis during the week. Subscribe to CityCast Denver and learn more about Mayoral Madness at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back soon with even more mayoral candidates who want to lead the city.